Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. If you've missed him, he's back today on Trending. Father Matthew Spencer, known for St. Joseph's Workshop, formerly here on Relevant Radio, will be joining me in just a moment. We'll talk about preparing for Christ's coming with St. Joseph this Advent, as well as the news that robots with a lethal force may be an option to be released in San Francisco. It's passed in the latest revised policy for the San Francisco Police Department regarding the use of robots, and it sparked quite a debate. It'll be interesting to discuss uh, and weigh in on from a Catholic worldview. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Is this good for safety or dangerous due to the removed choice to kill from the subject? Uh, rather than having a person in front of you um, and instead you're operating and making the choice to kill someone from a screen rather than that individual choice face-to-face of contact. It gets into the whole conversation of drone strikes, among other things. And I would just be interested to hear your thoughts on it. The number is one 914 We'll talk about the so-called Respect for Marriage Act and what marriage is and how it's a poignant moment for America as we continue to see this absolute ambiguity with regard to marriage. Why is it happening? It'll be an interesting conversation. I want to get your thoughts. And also St. Bibiana is our saint today. We'll talk about her and much more today on Trending. Joining me now is Father Matthew Spencer. You know him from St. Joseph's Workshop, formerly here on Relevant Radio. He's in the Oblate of St. Joseph in the beautiful state of California that I am just so happy, Father Matthew, to be back in California. We just moved back. And so I'm basking in the sun, but I'm really excited uh, to appreciate my California Christmas season. You know, people claim they need snow at Christmas. I'm totally okay without snow. But one thing we do need to do in preparing for Christmas is we have this wonderful Advent season. And every day we've been walking through themes uh, related to Advent to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. And I've really been pondering over the last few weeks in particular, and really the whole last nine months, because I'm pregnant and expecting a baby on the 20th or due on the 20th, uh, I've been thinking about the role of St. Joseph, the Holy Family, you know, Mother Mary and St. Joseph preparing themselves for the coming of Christ. So I'd like to talk to you about how we can prepare with St. Joseph this Advent. That's great, Timmy. Well, thanks so much for the the possibility to talk about Saint Joseph and his his role in our own Advent preparation. I think um, I think he's a perfect example, perfect model for each of us as we prepare for the coming of Christ. 
So let's talk about what his role is or can be for us during Advent. You know, we have the Advent wreaths. We often ponder Our Lady and her maternal preparations for Christ and her fiat. But what about St. Joseph? Where, what was his role in this entire um, season that we can connect to uh, during Advent to really ponder ourselves and go into a deeper spiritual reflection? Yeah, St. Joseph is at, at the center of, of the coming of Christ in those first few years. I mean, he's not, uh, his role obviously is not as privileged as our Blessed Mother, but, but God did choose him to accompany Mary and to, to protect Joseph uh, during, during the, I'm sorry, to protect Jesus during the Mary's uh, pregnancy and also in Jesus's first years on earth. And I think, you know, Timory, for me, there's, there's a lot I hope we can unpack in, in the coming minutes. But the first thing that, that I always ponder as, as we arrive at Advent is how St. Joseph's uh, experience of the coming of the Christ child was not, not this, um, you know, peaceful, simple, uh, you know, just a immediately, obviously joy-filled situation. It, obviously, it eventually became joy-filled and obviously he received the Prince of Peace into his life, and so there was great peace. But his initial experience of learning of the incarnation of Jesus and then accompanying Mary through her pregnancy was one of, of well, the way that Pope Benedict describes it is disruption, right? It's one in which God breaks into St. Joseph's life, and, and all of a sudden things become difficult. St. Joseph doesn't know what his role is. St. Joseph mm. isn't sure what he's supposed to do. St. Joseph is confused, perhaps, maybe even fearful if we, if we infer that from the, the angel's words to him. So he's, he's going through this probably almost a crisis moment, and, and there's the coming of Jesus right there. And to me, that always strikes me at this time of year, because as much as our society wants us to listen to bells and sing Christmas carols and, and then feel that everything's fine and go out and buy a lot of things, a lot of us, what we experience is, is challenge and crisis and difficulty. There's stress at this time of year. And that's why I think St. Joseph is such a good example to look to, because I think a lot of people are stressed at this time of year. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you mentioned kind of this disorientation of St. Joseph's role when all of this happens and he receives the great good news, but the shock of, hey, our lady has conceived and this isn't a child from you. But what's interesting, you mentioned how St. Joseph's a protector. And as we are in the season of preparing, it dawned on me when you were talking that St. Joseph was the protector of those who prepared for Christ and the respect that Our Lady and her body is preparing and is growing and getting ready to motherly care for baby Jesus. And before St. Joseph ever has a face-to-face -face encounter with a Christ child, he was there as a protector and that was his role. And it makes me think of how it's so easy, like you said, with this disorientation of the culture and what Christmas has become and how in many ways it's good, it's great shedding light on the glory of the season, but we can easily lose um, lose our direction, our orientation this season. Yet St. Joseph was the one who helped protect who Christ was, Our Lady who was to nurture and care for Christ, and all of those elements along the way. Yeah, it, it's an interesting point, Timory, that he his his role as protector began before he even saw the Christ child, before he could even hold Jesus in his hands. And I think many of us feel like, well, if only I could have a, 
this really personal, immediate experience of Jesus, then then my faith would be okay, then my relationship with Jesus would be fine. If if only I could see him for a little bit, for a little while, then I would be fine. But maybe one one aspect of Joseph's vocation as protector of the Holy Family is a is a reminder to us that well he did that in faith. I mean he he protected the Christ child because the angel told him to because he he believed Mary when she revealed her pregnancy to him, and 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 he was able to act. And maybe that's a a reminder for us that as Joseph served as protector of the Holy Family even before he was able to to confirm with his own eyes and his own senses who Jesus was he he believed in faith and that's that's i think a, a challenge for each one of us and coming back to that fatherly role of St. Joseph, if you're just joining us, that's Father Matthew Spencer here on Trending with Timory. Father Matthew, I keep thinking about uh, that fatherly role that St. Joseph fulfilled. And uh, St. Joseph, I consecrated myself to St. Joseph a few years ago. You and I have talked a lot over the last couple of years about St. Mm. Joseph and consecrating your life to him. Um, but we've had a lot of seasonal change in our life the last couple months. So very quickly, my husband you know, landed a new job and within, I think, 45 days we had put our house on the market, sold our house. We were in escrow in a new house and moved across the country and also expecting a baby, you know, potentially any days I was struggling with some preterm labor and all of this. I'm going, oh my gosh, okay, Lord, you're providing. I know this is like very God ordained because you're just moving mountains to make everything happen. And I don't pray a ton of novenas, but through all of this, we prayed a novena to sell our house and then we're landing in California and we still don't have a home yet. We're expecting this baby. And so we pray another novena to find a house. And it just kept making me think about how um, St. Joseph for all of us, you know, whatever season we're at in our lives, and even if it's just struggles around the holidays, you know, trying to pay for Christmas presents, you know, feeling maybe sometimes even inadequate when you want to give more than you can or feeling lonely, um, isolated. Uh, maybe you've lost a spouse or maybe you're in that season where you desire so deeply to have a family. Um, how St. Joseph can come in, he swoops right in when we turn to his intercession and he prepares us for our vocation of what Christ is calling us to today. No matter how challenging it might be, or how good it might be in those gifts in abundance. And I think that that's where that fatherly perspective through this Advent season helps to orient us and prepare us for this is about Jesus Christ, the baby who came, who would lead to that salvific sacrifice for all of us. That's who St. Joseph is preparing us for. Wow, Timory, I mean, I hope you and your husband have a manger prepared just in case you can't get your house before Christmas, right? Before the coming, I should say, of your own baby. It's uh, it's funny, you know, you share that and ha the parallels yes. between your own <laughs> <laughs> expectation of, yes. of your child and, and then the coming of Jesus, you know? I mean, to me, it's beautiful. It's not, it's not always so obvious, those connections. It's so clear, you know, in, in your... In your experience right now and how interesting that it's overlapping so closely with also the liturgical year uh, but i think this is this is how god always speaks to us right i mean god always allows us to experience this hardship or this stress or or this need to have to trust him but then we can see always examples of how we're supposed to respond in scripture and and i think that's especially true in the life of the holy family i mean here we are in Advent, and maybe we're thinking, well, I don't know how to manage the stress that is to come, and I don't know how to prepare well for Christmas, or I don't know how to deepen my relationship with the Christ child. 
And I think the Lord would say, look, I've, I've given you the whole history of my son, Jesus, there in especially the Gospels of Matthew and Luke uh, in those first few years of Jesus's life. And we can learn from that, right? We can look to Jesus, uh, Mary, and Joseph, and we can say, oh, well, how did they deal with stressful situations? And how did Joseph deal with a quick change to his plans that he had to adapt to? And how did our Blessed Mother deal with this amazing revelation of a very new and unexpected vocation, a new and different situations? And, um, and there's so much that we can learn from, especially uh, the Holy Family. We can learn patience when things don't go our way. We can learn trust in divine providence. We learn uh, perseverance when maybe we're tired and wanting to give up. And, um, and we just see this throughout all of, all of these weeks leading up to Christmas. And I think it's, that's really important for us to apply that directly to our lives. Let's talk about these few weeks leading up to Christmas and silence. That's actually not something we've talked about yet during this Advent season. Yet when we talk about preparing the way for the Lord, we talk about, you know, purging sin from our lives, penance services, you know, meditation, you know, taking the time. I love having my Christmas tree during Advent because it really just helps me. It's like staring at a tree outside. I'm staring at a tree inside and I'm thinking about all of these significant symbols with the Christmas tree and why we have it. Uh, But silence is necessary. For that, and I know that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has made quite a few comments about silence in this Advent season, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on them. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a nice it's a nice thing to reflect on in light of Pope Benedict, certainly, but also in light of Saint Joseph, because we know that Saint Joseph uh, lived a life of great silence. We know that he himself uh, embraced silence as as a way that he could listen. To the voice of God, right? I mean, this is really this is really important. He wasn't just silent. He wasn't silent because words are bad. You know, Saint Joseph wasn't silent because he was non-communicative. He he is silent in Scripture as a as a, an example of what it means to be receptive to the Word of God, as an example of what it means to listen to what God's will is. And the way that he knew what his vocation was and the way that he knew how to respond to the coming of the Christ child was because he was listening, because he was silent and his life wasn't filled with noise. And I think this is important in our lives during Advent, whenever Advent comes around, because as you said, Advent is a time in which we prepare for the coming of Jesus. We prepare for the way of the Lord. And the mo- one of the most important things we do in that process is to be able to listen to what God is trying to say to us, to listen to his voice and then and be able to discern what he's, what he's asking of us. And it's that, it's that silence that creates the space for us to, to then hear what God wants to say to us. And I think that's what Benedict XVI would, would always come back to, that Silence uh, is, is a means to knowing God's will. And silence is the, the road towards which we travel to, to meet and have an encounter with God himself. And that's why silence is essential during Advent. I know that we just want to put on a lot of Christmas music or there's so much frenetic activity in our lives and there are things going on, fun things and blessed things. Of course, it's not that these are bad, but we, we also need to have that space and time for us to be able to listen and discern the voice of the Lord. Father Matthew Spencer here on Trending with Timory. Father Matthew, let's get practical. We're talking about silence. We're talking about a very busy season of the year going into Christmas. 
How can we pray with St. Joseph and enter into that silence? What what are concrete steps we can take? I think one of the first steps we have to do is detach ourselves from things that, that take that silence away. You know, I mean, this is, we don't often think of Advent as a time of self-denial as a time of sacrifice but but it is i mean we we think of that more more in relation to lent but advent also is a time in which we practice a little more self-denial we practice giving things up we fast at times we it's it's a time in which we we allow a little bit of penance in our life in order to prepare ourselves for christmas and so when it comes to creating silence in our life I think especially for us as modern men and women, one of the one of the great distractions that we have are the things around us and the 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 tools that we use, like phones and computers and and um and just means of communication. All of these can be helpful, but also can become great distractions uh, and and great uh, contributors of noise in our life. So. Uh, I think a, a very concrete way that we can practice more silence, especially during Advent, is to say, well, I need to put my phone down at very concrete times, or I need to uh, deny myself some of the pleasures of maybe social media or shopping or the different things that happen on that device that then lead me to not be be receptive and listening to God. Um, and, and it's not only phones that, that can do that. I mean, it's also... Uh, computers, it's also uh, television, it's also just uh, much of the technology in the world, which we, we've become used to and desensitized to and just becomes part of the fabric of our life, but oftentimes doesn't leave any room or space for, for God to come in. So my first thought, Timory, is that we, if we're looking for something concrete, we have to identify, well, what are the sources of noise in my life? <laughs> and mm-hmm. oftentimes mm-hmm. that comes down to to technology or to the tools uh, of my work or my relationships. This is a perfect example because I fell prey to this this morning. Normally, I really try not to be on my phone until after nine and I have it on do not disturb until uh, after then. And sure enough, you know, I had like that pregnancy insomnia and woke up somewhere around four and was wide awake. And I did everything from full laundry to, you know, start. I try not to be on my phone, but I'm like texting people about Christmas lifts and Christmas gifts for this and that. And then you know, it dawned on me as it's getting closer to like 630 and now, you know, approaching seven when the baby's going to wake up. And I'm like, oh, man, and this whole time I meant like, oh, I'll just quickly do this on my phone and then I'm going to go pray. It could have been a really fruitful time of prayer. But instead, my prayer got pushed until later in the morning and the baby was already up. Uh, but the distraction was there, right? The cell phone and then just everything else that needs to be done because the season's a busier season. And we're just trying to catch up, whether it's, you know, the Christmas parties, the Christmas shopping. Okay, I want to get my Christmas tree decorated. Like I had my whole plan written out about all the things I want to do. I'm going to my parents this weekend to decorate their tree. And then I'm going to buy my tree hopefully Sunday. Like it completely eliminated that space that you're talking about that's so important. Yeah. And I mean, it's very hard, right? It's very hard to stop, to put my phone down, to put it on do not disturb, to to forget about it for for even a couple hours, right? And some, for many people, the first thing that that they think about when they wake up is, I better see what what notifications are on my phone. I better glance at the news. I better see what's happening in the world or or on social media. It's um, it's 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 unfortunate that we've become 
that 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 has taken over so much of of our life of our attention and and, um it's almost become cliche to say we need to detach ourselves from it but i think it's become more urgent than ever that that we make efforts in that area because we we can just so easily uh become victims to to and slaves to these to these tools in our life and it takes away that Christmas joy that we're supposed to be entering into, which I'd love to hear kind of just final thought from Pope Meritus Benedict XVI, where he talks about joy during the season of Advent. I mean, joy is is um, this elusive thing that every single one of us wants, but we, we seem to not know how to get it, right? I mean, I think this is why Pope Francis, right from the beginning of his pontificate, would speak about joy in relationship to the gospel and would really emphasize uh, joy as, as a, an, an essential component of the life of the Christian um, because we all want it. I mean, we all are looking for joy, but it becomes so confused in our mind what, what's going to give us that joy. And so we think, well, just more candy, more chocolate chip cookies, more food, more satisfaction of my desires, more, 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 we think will give us joy when when that that that's not true right i mean joy doesn't come from from the satisfaction of our desires joy comes from realizing that i am loved by god recognizing that god loves me and i'm in relationship i can be in relationship with him and then responding to 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 his call to be in relationship to him so joy is so much deeper than than that the uh, superficial happiness that oftentimes we're chasing mm-hmm. after. And I think that's why Advent calls us to, to really reflect on joy and consider the, 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 how, how joy plays a role in our lives. Because the coming of Christ brought great joy to Joseph and Mary. It, but that joy came also with a lot of sacrifice, with a lot of mm-hmm. hardship. Mm-hmm. They weren't, they, and everything didn't go perfectly <laughs> in the birth of Jesus, and everything wasn't uh, wasn't easy for them. And yet they could be joyful. I mean, the the shepherds come and share in that joy, and the angels come to share in that joy. And so Joseph and Mary give an example that we can be joyful even when the world might be falling apart, even when our relationships might be might be uh, difficult at the moment or we might be going through sacrifice, right? Joy can pervade all, all areas of our life. That's Father Matthew Spencer here on Trending with Timory. We'll be back with Father Matthew and we'll talk about the new revised policy by the San Francisco Police Department regarding robots and sanctioning them to use lethal force against people in San Francisco. We'll talk about that in just a moment here on Trending. Don't go away. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. This was an intriguing headline this past week. Robots with lethal force options to be released in San Francisco. That's right, California. Is this good for safety of our police? Uh, 
men and women, or is it dangerous due to the removed choice to kill from the subject? A lot could be discussed here. So here's what happened. Father Matthew Spencer is here with me on Trending with Tim Ray from St. Joseph's Workshop. Um, and you know him. He's an oblate of St. Joseph. Uh, here's what happened. So the revised policy for the San Francisco Police Department was passed, and it regards the use of robots. Basically, it now states that robots will only be used as a deadly force option which they weren't allowed to be used as a deadly force option before, when the risk of loss of life of members of the public or officers are imminent or outweigh any other force option available. So what people are reading into this is, okay, they're letting lethal force robots loose on the city if you commit a crime. They're actually saying, no, this is very specific scenarios, um, unique scenarios. And it's interesting because in September, the Bay Area of Oakland was also considering permitting the use of robots for lethal force. But Oakland, like many other places across the nation, ultimately decided, no, it's not time for that, as there's a massive debate right now regarding the use of lethal force with robots. Now, there's a lot that could be discussed. Um, in 2016, you may recall the Dallas incident where, and this is probably really the most notable one out there with regards to the use of robots. And just to be clear, um, when the robots are used, there's always a human agent who is operating the robot. This isn't artificial intelligence in this circumstance making the choice. It is a safely well-trained officer who's deciding basically through a ro- remote control robot that is very, very enhanced, um, whether or not to step into a particular situation to use lethal force. So NBC had reported that the police in Dallas in 2016 um, were equipped with a remote-controlled robot where they used a bomb to kill a sniper in an elevated parking structure. So this touches on the whole idea of safety of the officers, safety of the public, and also that debate over the concern with regard to drone strikes where a person is being killed, but it's not face-to-face combat. It's perhaps lacking some of that human dimension of subjective moments where we see a subject being a person and we make a decision within that context using objective truth. So, Father Matthew, I'm curious to hear your initial kind of reaction and thoughts on this because it does tie a lot into Catholic social teaching and just the debate over how we handle life and death situations. Wow, where to start, uh, Timory? Uh, there's a lot going through my head about about this kind of situation. But you know, the first thing that comes to mind actually is not um, is not lethal force, but actually is uh, the example of autonomous driving that we're that we're experiencing in our own times. Uh, you know, Tesla is probably the most famous for this of of deploying. Um, tools which allow allow the car to drive itself and it essentially reads as much of the of the environment as it can and makes decisions and for the most part it it works pretty well i mean it works actually surprisingly well uh, a lot of the time Uh, but then of course it's made some tragic mistakes over time Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's the first fear i think that people have even though as you pointed out we're we're not yeah right we're not talking about artificial intelligence in this case we're talking about uh, a human controller but let's let's face it timory i mean what's happening on the robot is it's using artificial intelligence to identify people 
it's going to use it to aim it's going to so there's going to be a human being pulling the trigger but there's still a lot of technology between between the human operator and the 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 target of that of that robot and that makes that makes me really nervous you know it makes me really I mean, as much as, you know, Timory, I don't know if our listeners know this. I, my background is in technology. I, self, right. st- I studied software engineering and worked in that field for some years. Uh, I keep up with it and I really, I really uh, appreciate developments in technology. But I also feel like I know the, the, the limitations of it pretty well. Right. And this is one mm-hmm. where it's really pushing those limits in an area yes. that's really important, right? Life and death. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it, because I knew this was an area of interest and study and work for you prior to becoming a priest. And so it's fascinating. Like We have such incredible capacities today to do so much with our technology. And there's a fear with every new technology. There's a fear with the television. There's a fear with you know cell phones. And there are just reasons to respond and say, hey, this has to do with self-control. This has to do with dopamine levels and the colors and the lights and the whistles before us drawing us in. Um, but this one isn't just talking about um, whether or not you're going to use it too much or too little or what you're going to be exposed to, but this is having to do with the caring of someone's life in your hands. And I do appreciate, especially, you know, coming from a family that has a lot of um, law enforcement in our extended family, this desire to protect our law enforcement who are literally sacrificing their lives to protect us. Um, but at the same time, although I want them to be safer, I also have a real problem with how removed the agent who is operating that robot is from the subject who may very well be killed. Yeah, and I think, Timory, some of the other concern has to do with uh, the slippery slope argument or fallacy, you know, depending on how you look at it, that, well... Okay, so now there's going to be a human operator using that robot. And at this point, it's limited to only defend uh, a a policeman when maybe lethal force is used against him or whatever criteria they're putting on it. Uh, But I think what people imagine is, say, Terminator, where at some point, you know, you have on the streets robots that are patrolling everything or uh, and... um, while, while we while we have to admit that a slippery slope uh, argument can often be a fallacy, right? We can't we can't judge something based on where it possibly could go. I think mm-hmm. that it's still why it makes many people uncomfortable. At what point will will robots then take over the executive decisions of of enforcing <laughs> justice on the streets? And that I think is a legitimate question to ask. If if we get comfortable with seeing, uh, you know, arms bearing robots on the street, well, it's just the next logical step to that that robot has more and more influence and power. Uh, again, I'm not trying to say that that's, that's why we, we shouldn't do something like this. I think that's a, that's a concern and something that we have to talk about. Well, how do we protect the common good? And how do we save lives by or and minimize harm to other people? But, mm-hmm. um, but I think, but I think this question, I mean, San Francisco is chose this side of the argument saying, well, we're going to work on it and within these criteria. But I think the reason that other jurisdictions have not done it is precisely because of the concerns that, that you and I have been talking about that, well, what are the limits of this? And what does this mean for, for the future and the, the possible mistakes that could happen? And, um, mm-hmm. and these are unanswered questions, right? I mean, these are, these are hard things to say where, where this will go. 
And I don't want to uh, kind of create any alarm. This is a change of policy that opens the door for the lethal use uh, via robots. But the San Francisco Police Department has confirmed to NPR that currently they do not have the technology uh, with robots who are currently outfitted to use lethal force options. And at this time, they have no plans to outfit robots with any type of firearm was the statement uh, from the San Francisco Police Department to NPR. Um, But kind of bring this back to maybe a little more of a personal level. It does make me ask the question, okay, we live in a culture where we've passed policies in different parts of the nation where a Officer can operate a robot to use lethal force to kill someone in a in a unique situation um, to try to save more lives and keep the officer safe. But how are we today uh, using technology in a way that is dehumanizing the subject in which we're engaging with, whether it be via text message or social media? I feel like we've come so far with our means of communication and this virtual reality in many ways that people are living in. I think of even the connection to video games and how desensitized people are to the use of Sure, fake lethal force via video games, but how desensitized we've seen in psychological studies, this is leading many, especially young men to be in general. I think even, I mean, even something that many people have experience with, which is uh, engaging with other people online. It's amazing to me what people will will say online, what they'll put in comment boxes, what they'll, what they'll respond to on social media, they will say things that they would never say in person, right? I mean, they will be uh, so mean to other people. Why? Because it feels less personal, because it feels that there's a, a distance through the mm-hmm. technology with this, with this other human being that's out there, you know, that you're engaging with. Right. And I think you're right. I mean, uh, there, there is when, whenever technology becomes the, the the mediator in our communication with others there is this risk that we are dehumanizing the person we're communicating with so you brought mm-hmm. up the example of drones i mean this this happens no doubt with drone operators who who are you know in some far away part uh, far from the actual war zone where they're controlling their their drones perhaps they're even within uh, you know the confines of the United States but controlling devices overseas that have lethal effects on on people and what is that how do you how do you adjudicate that in your conscience right mm-hmm. and and this happens not only for people operating drones it happens for people who are um, who are going to be maybe controlling robots that are using lethal force but frankly timory it's happening for us you know it's happening for you and for me in the ways that we use technology now as you pointed out in mm-hmm. entertainment this can happen inside of social media this can happen and um i, I think that's why it's 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 going to be the new the new renaissance I think Timory is going to be authentic human interaction. I think <laughs> I think we're not far away from people saying, "Whoa, this is amazing. I can go and spend time with this person, <laughs> you know, in the flesh uh, rather than engage with them online." And I think that's going to be like the next big thing, you know. I feel uh, that in so many ways right now after having been away from California in the Midwest for 2 years and now I'm back I'm like I don't have to hear your voice via phone. I don't have to text you. I don't have to FaceTime you. I like I I can touch you. I see you. You're right here. Um 
our community and people and real life encounters and so much of uh, what we communicate is nonverbal. You know, 80% of what we communicate is nonverbal. And I keep coming back to even just this whole robot scenario. Think about how much is missed with the lethal use of force via a robot versus I think of stories of snipers, of people who've gone to war, of people in very dangerous situations where, you know, they make eye contact with someone. Maybe before they kill him, the, the individual, maybe before they choose not to. And they'll mention moments where suddenly they make eye contact and one person surrenders. Hmm. Or they make eye contact and before pulling the trigger, they see a moment of anguish in that person's hmm. face or hmm. fear. You have those real life interactions. You have real life guilt because you see that face-to-face -face response, those final moments for the individual. And... That's something that, you know, is so extreme as to talk about lethal force of the use of robots in San Francisco, but it's also so real as you talk about the importance of face-to-face -face communication and spending time together being the new renaissance. We're missing so much when we dehumanize ourselves and others through the way we overuse technology today. I'm, I'm thinking of several uh, videos I've seen uh, online recently of of situations where people where violence was defused because because a human being could read what was happening in the life of another you know uh, somebody mm -hmm. uh, a, a perpetrator is holding up a say a convenience store and they have a gun and somebody who is who recognizes that this person is desperate and and not not wanting to actually do what they're going to do and and they're able to to back that back that or or de-escalate that situation. That is not going to happen with a robot that's armed with an AK-47, right? I mean, that's not going to happen with with technology that a human being is going to feel even more alien with, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I don't have a solution to it. I'm just I'm I'm I don't see it. You know, I don't see this yeah. this solution. I don't see this as a solution to the problem of crime and right. violence and 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 helping people who are really in those situations. I just don't see that. Well, I think it's a human experiment that we're embarking on, but at the same time we know real human truths um, revealed to us by Holy Scripture um, and the church. And something we know is that God is a communion of persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ became the incarnate word, right? He came into a family. God is not in isolation. The human person does not enter into nor leave this world in isolation. And I think that that's something that we need to remember with our human interactions day to day. You know, taking this robot experience in San Francisco and applying it that I'm not meant to be an island. I'm meant to communicate and interact and engage face to face with people because I am made for that communion that God intended and that God himself is. So I think these are so many things to reflect on as we talk about everything from artificial intelligence to this specific situation of human operated robots. That's been Father Matthew Spencer here on Trending with Tim Ray. Thank you so much for joining us, Father Matthew, and diving into preparing ourselves for Advent with St. Joseph and weighing on in on the latest technologies being used in San Francisco, potentially. I'll be right back here on Trending. We're going to talk about the radical marriage bill that was passed this week and also dive into the saint of the day. It's a feast day of St. Bibiana.
So come Divine Messiah, those Advent hymns that we are just enjoying during this season. I don't really listen to Advent music outside of Advent, and it's so rich in biblical uh, preparation for Christ and the expectation from the Old Testament coming into the New. So hope you enjoy it. Again, I keep saying, make sure you pray with some of these songs as well. Pull up the lyrics. I want to talk for just a couple moments here about what's happened over the last couple of weeks with the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Um, This, if you've not really been following it or maybe haven't understood what's going on, uh, it's it's frightening. Much of what it's stating, it's potentially going to do everything from forced speech to weigh in on very serious concerns with regard to religious liberty, um, pressure being put on churches, uh, people of faith being able to stand for what they believe in, and that is the God-given blueprint of the reality of the human person. The marriage is only possible between one man and one woman. It's how it works. Don't have to get blunt. We know how that that works. And when you take marriage outside of that proper context, we then see the fallout and the damage done to the human person. I mean, we can talk about everything from sexually transmitted diseases um, to the impact of the AIDS community, among many other things, um, just the damage to parts of the body um, when engaging in ways that the body's not meant to be interacted with. The bottom line is, is what's happened here is we're seeing as the Senate has now passed the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, and it will return now to the House um, to go through with its uh, amendments that were made. We see that there are no clear conscience protections for people of faith, and it's really disheartening. Um, As we look ahead, it's basically taking the decision of 2016 uh, legalizing same-sex marriage in Obergefell versus Hodges and really pushing that even more intensely into the nation. Now, why are we here? I think this is a poignant moment for American legislators, where American legislators have chosen this. This passed with bipartisan support. So what does that mean? With both Democrat and Republican support in the Senate, 12 Republicans voted in favor of this. Um, And it begs the question, you know, what's happened? I think the culture is continuing to ask a very important question over the last 15 years and really ever since we legalized hormonal birth control. The question is this, what is marriage And because we have sullied the answer to that question, we're now asking, what is the human person? What does it mean to be male and what does it mean to be female? Follow what has happened. And this has happened in the United States through various court cases and laws that have been passed. We started with Griswold versus Connecticut that decriminalized the use of contraception. So what did we do? We took babies out of the loving context of sex within marriage. So it took babies out of sex, which allowed us to take sex outside of marriage because you no longer have to have the protection of a safe environment, healthy environment, commitment, and longevity to have a baby and stay with the person you have that baby with and provide that security to that baby long term and have the support of the spouse to do so. So what happens? Babies go out of sex, sex go out, goes out of marriage. Babies then become unwanted. Women become used 
and turned into workhorses. Men lose their sense of identity. And the male and female roles are confused and outright rejected today. So where do we find ourselves now? The quest for, quote, love is disoriented. And we're trying as a culture today to make an attempt at creating a new version of love, but really just a new version of marriage. And that's why when you see this language of the, quote, Respect for Marriage Act, they're trying to create something new that has never, ever in the history of our civilization been a part of any culture. We are disfiguring what the most basic relationship between man and woman is. That God-ordained relationship that you can break it down with a scientist to biology and chemistry, opposites attracting, and a baby resulting from the intimacy of a man and a woman. You can break it down. You don't have to be a person of faith to understand there's a blueprint for the human body. But more than there just being a blueprint for the human body and the capacity to procreate, human beings have the capacity to love. And when we see this so-called Respect for Marriage Act being passed and radical laws being pushed to silence people who believe that a man is a man is a woman is a woman and that only one man and one woman should marry. And that it is only through the union of a man and a woman that we can actually call that marriage. And all of these other attempts, as I said earlier, the culture is at a point where they're seeking out a quest for love and they're disoriented. And we're attempting to create a new version of love, a new version of marriage. But as those wedding vows are so important that you make when you go to the altar, when you prepare yourself for marriage, that you enter into a marriage freely. You enter into a marriage totally giving yourself, intending fidelity, that permanence, that long-term, lifelong relationship. And that that relationship's fecundant, that it's fruitful, that more flows from just saying, hey, I really like you and you like me and we're infatuated with each other. But that I want to grow with you. I want to change with you. I want to be a better person for you. This is part of the struggle of marriage is sometimes we lose sight that we're called to be our best and to be our best for ourselves, but also for the other people that come into that family. But when we lose sight of that sacrifice we're meant to make of ourselves and for others in marriage, that's when we lose sight of our own happiness. That's when we're less than happy. And all of these attempts at what the culture would like to call marriage is truly hurting people today. Do not be afraid to clearly proclaim that you believe and you know that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's the only way you can do it. That children are a gift. That children are good for people. That they can transform the hearts, minds, bodies of individuals and draw them to even greater sacrifice. I often look to the stories of the saints and those who walked before us. And I look to the fourth century today as we ponder the feast day of St. Bibiana on December 2nd. She was a Roman who was martyred in the fourth century. And just reading, you know, a couple little sentences about her life. She was scourged to death with whips that were loaded with lead. And then her, her captors, the people who killed her, for being a person of faith, for proclaiming Jesus Christ, 
left her body out in the open for days, for two days, for dogs to then mull and eat her body. It's gruesome. And then a priest named John took the body at night and gave that body a proper and dignified burial out of honor for her as an individual. And I keep thinking of St. Bibiana's sacrifice that she said, come and take me. I love our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in his truth and nothing that this culture says, even at the point of persecution and in face of death, am I willing to sacrifice the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth that he preaches about the human person. So we pray to St. Bibiana today on her feast day, asking her intercession that we can have the courage that is acting in the face of fear and the fortitude to act in the face of the fear to the point of death to stand on the true principles that actually make people happy. And that's the truth of Jesus Christ and the creation that he intended you and I both to be.